well, there's always something that doesn't go quite right. But it's still resurrection morning. People God dearly loves. There was darkness before the beginning and at the beginning of creation. There was only darkness, as the Hebrew of Genesis 1 says, it was a tohu wabohu. Until God spoke his first creative word, let there be light. There was darkness in Egypt. It was the ninth of the ten plagues God sent as judgment and power. Darkness ruled over the whole land for three days. Darkness so deep, Exodus 10, that no one could see anyone else. There was darkness everywhere except where God's people lived. There was darkness for Job, the darkness of the losses of his family and his friends, his wealth and his security. There was darkness for the Israelites when they were sent into exile because of their unfaithfulness. There was darkness for exiled Daniel when, because of his faithfulness, he was thrown into a pit of hungry lions. There was darkness, only darkness, until the promise was kept, until the Christ appeared, until the Savior was born. John writes in the first chapter of his gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Yet there was darkness one night when a man named Nicodemus sought out Jesus and said, I need to talk to you. I need to know who you really are. I need to know what you give. That's in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was in the dark. He was in the dark about who Jesus was and about the kingdom of God he offered and invited all to share and about being reborn by water and the spirit. But now we fast forward to Holy Week, to events we have just recalled. There was darkness in the garden called Gethsemane as Jesus went there with 11 of his disciples to pray. There was the darkness of anguish as Jesus cried out, Take this cup from me, O Father, but not my will, but yours be done. And there was darkness in the heart of Judas, who came with the torch-bearing mob, and knowing exactly which dark form was Jesus, identified him with a kiss. There was darkness in the plotting of the chief priests and their cohort, accusing Jesus first of blasphemy and then of treason to push Pilate to order his crucifixion. There was darkness in the mockery, the cursing, the spitting. There was darkness in the trek from Pilate's palace to the place of the skull. There was darkness in the stripping of clothes and the striking of nails. There is the darkness of sin and judgment as Jesus hangs on the cross at Golgotha. Matthew 27 and Mark 15 and Luke 23 all describe the scene. This is how Luke records the divine history. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. But here is one writer's imagination and description of that strange but holy event. Noon. The sun at zenith is hidden. That great black frowning range of cloud from the west has killed the sunlight, closed the sky, swallowed the earth in a yellow darkness. The wind is still. The city stops breathing. Boom. The rain dots the dust with big drops. Boom. Now it falls hard and straight and heavy. The black between the lightning is the darkness Egypt knew. Thick darkness. A darkness which may be felt. No human mockery can match the voice of the storm for mortal scorn. Silhouettes on the hill. Three crosses. The guards. 
some women, a lone disciple. Those who laughed and mocked are almost all gone. No one is laughing now. Only a few stood through the storm until the ninth hour. I said it was one writer's imagination. The Gospels don't describe it as a storm, but simply as darkness. But was it a storm? Then came the darkness of a final cry, a final breath, a final and lasting stillness. Jesus is dead. At this, the sky lightens. The sun peeks out again. Oh, that we wish it would this morning. And in those last hours of light, before the Sabbath begins at sundown, there are hurried and holy actions. Joseph of Arimathea asked permission of Governor Pilate to take and bury the body. He is joined by Nicodemus, now confirmed in his faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Savior. Together they pry the nails from flesh and wood. Together they cover his body with myrrh and aloes. Together they wrap his body with linen. Together they carry him to a nearby tomb. Together they lay him on the stone ledge. Together they roll the stone to close the grave. It is dark. It is dark inside the tomb. It is dark for a long night and a long day and for another long night. It is still dark on the first day of the week when the women gather their anointing spices and begin their sad, slow walk to the garden tomb. And it is dark in Jerusalem in the upper room where the disciples have locked the doors, afraid of what will happen next. But we are gathered here this morning because Christ has won the victory. We are here because the tomb is open and the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. We are here because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We are here to shout and to sing, Alleluia, Christ is risen. We are here because our Lord Jesus, crucified and raised, leads his people from death and darkness and night to new birth and light. We are here because we were in the dark, not just in that darkened sanctuary on Good Friday afternoon or evening. We were in the darkness of sin. We were in the darkness of death. We were in the darkness of despair and hopelessness. How active were you in your birthing process. Did you tell your mother that you were ready and it was time to start labor? Did you time the contractions and page the doctor when they were closer and stronger? Did you communicate with your mother to tell her to begin to push? Did you clench your teeth and push off with your feet to emerge into the world? I don't think so. You didn't do all or any of that. I didn't do all or any of that. It's the laboring, birthing mother who does all the work. She does the work and she gets a well-deserved medal and you received a blanket and a beanie and a pacifier. We were all passive when we were born physically. We weren't born because of what we did. Our mothers did all the work. That's what Nicodemus learned and it is true for us to learn about our spiritual birth. We aren't born because of what we do. We are born because of what God does. He does all the work. That's what we'll affirm in about 10 minutes when a new child of God is born into his kingdom of grace. I won't do the work. Her parents won't do the work. Young Amelia won't do the work. God will do the work 
all the work. On this Easter morning, that is our proclamation. That is our confidence. God has done all the work. God the Father sent his Son to rescue and redeem. God the Son went to the cross to be both our substitute and our sacrifice. Jesus has done all the work. He faced death for us on the cross. He spoke this good news. It is finished. The price is paid in full. And Jesus endured darkness for us in the cold grave. He slept through the night to the promised third day. Now he gives new birth, a second birth, a birth from above. Now he gives resurrection light that will never fade, no matter what storms we face. So let us keep the festival to which the Lord invites us. Christ is himself the joy of all, the sun that warms and lights us. Now his grace to us imparts eternal sunshine to our hearts. The night of sin is ended. Alleluia and Amen.